Welcome to Drop Everything Podcast number 44. I'm your host, Dan Holzman, and we have a very special guest on today's podcast, a gentleman I've known for many, many years, probably 30-some-odd years, and they have been odd because his name is Tui Wilson. But before we get to Tui and our talk, let's thank our sponsors, starting with sponsor number one, numero uno, of course, is the IJA. That stands for the International Jugglers Association. It's getting closer. The clock is ticking down. That's right, to the Summer Festival in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, July 10th through the 16th. What do we got? We got extra shows, special workshops, and of course, joggling. All right, well, we have joggling and so, so much more. That's one of our sponsors, and you can find out a lot more about that at juggle.org. And of course, our exciting new sponsor, who was very hard to get, ringdama.com. That's right, go to www.ringdama.com, that's R-I-N-G-D-A-M-A, ringdama.com, to get yourself, or maybe a few for you and your friends, of that exciting new skill toy, the Ringdama, brought to you by Holzman Labs, Juggling Genius, and Wonder Toys. So, enjoy your Ringdama, while you listen to podcast number 44, Tui Wilson. Welcome to Drop Everything number 44, our 44th podcast in a row. One of my favorite jugglers and old-time friends. Please welcome everybody. A big hand for Tui Wilson. Hi, Tui. Hey, Daniel. Now, you've always been in Minnesota. So what, uh, what city in Minnesota are you in? I currently live in a town called Faribault, Minnesota. It's a little smaller town, just about a half an hour south of the Twin Cities area. But I grew up in Bloomington, which is right in the Twin Cities. Now, how do you do it? How do you handle that white stuff that falls from the sky, those cold weathers? You know, being a West Coast guy my entire life, why does someone choose to live in Minnesota? The white stuff that falls from the sky in the cold weather, Is that, frankly. Is that why? <laughs> really? Uh, well, I mean, you know, I grew up here, family's here. But, no, I love winter. I, I can't imagine living someplace where there isn't winter. I like snow. I, I like shoveling snow. I like driving in snow. You know, not, if it's a long, if I got a gig that's hours away, I don't really want to have it to drive in snow. But just around town, it's, it's fun. And I grew up skiing. I actually grew up within walking distance of a little ski area in Bloomington, Minnesota, called Highland Hills. And so from first grade on, every day after school, I was down there skiing and then ski raced, and actually through a good portion of my 20s, I coached ski racing out at that ski area in the winter. So you were always active and athletic. Did you ever experience juggling before you juggled? Like, did you ever see it and go, oh, juggling? Because I, I realized you didn't start juggling until kind of later in life. Like, what was it, high school that you started to juggle? I learned in about somewhere in junior high, because my next oldest brother, I'm a fifth of six kids. We got five boys, one girl. Wow, okay. And... My next oldest brother knew how for some reason. I think the story goes he learned from a third cousin at a family reunion, but don't quote me on that. How many cousins are in the uh, Tui Wilson family? A big family? Yeah, cousins? Uh, I mean, you have five, you have five siblings, so... I, oh, I mean, there's, there's plenty of nieces and nephews right. from me and my siblings. My mother has, what are we up to now, 19 grandkids? Wow, okay. I think, something like that. Anyway, so he knew how. And one summer up at the cabin that we would rent for a month in the summer uh, up in one of the lakes in Minnesota, northern Minnesota, he was trying to teach us and some friends who were nearby how to juggle. And all I remember was I wasn't getting it. I could do the two in one hand, and I wasn't getting the three, and it was upsetting me because I should be getting this, especially if other people are. Right. Because this is a physical skill, and that's what I do. And you're kind of competitive by nature, you think? Uh, yeah, somewhat. Like I said, I grew up, I did the skiing, I did skateboarding, water skiing, we water skied all the time up there. So yeah, physical skill things were of always right. of interest to me. Anyway, so that was about it. He had, he actually had the Carlos juggling book. Mm -hmm. That was what, probably 1974-ish? So, yeah, there? right, exactly, exactly. And he, he, had, he was into magic a little bit as a kid. He did the talent show in elementary school. Then somewhere senior high, maybe 11th grade, I think we had a juggler at school during Fine Arts Week. And the, honestly, that may have been the first live juggler I ever saw, quite possibly. All, as a senior in high school? Would have been like 11th grade, I 11th think. 11th grade. Do you remember this it, juggler's name by any chance? Or? I have no idea who it was. I literally have no idea other than a vague thought of maybe it was Steve Russell just because he was around at the time, I found okay. out later. But I, I literally don't know. 
Right. So anyway, so that got me a little more interested just because I saw the juggler went, oh, a juggler. So I went home and actually took out my brother's book and learned to do a little more than just the three ball cascade, which somewhere back then I did finally get the hang of. And then at camp that I went to that summer, there was a kid there who was into magic and juggling and he had some juggle bug equipment. And I thought, oh, cool, made for juggling, juggling equipment. He had balls in the rings. And right. I said, oh, I, I should get some of that. So I went to the Eagle Magic in downtown Minneapolis that was selling the juggle bug stuff and got the balls and started learning that and got more interested. And so then was looking more in the Carlos book. I made myself everyone's first plastic bowling pin clubs. And that was from a Clorox bottle. Was that right? You would You would cut off the... Uh, actually, just plastic bowling pins. Like oh, plastic kid, bowling pins. Kids plastic bowling pin set is yeah what I went with. I, at some point, I bought the rings. And so fall of my senior year, I'm more into juggling. And my friends are, you know, they know that I'm doing it. And the one says, oh, you like juggling. You should go out to the Renaissance Festival. There's jugglers there. And I said, well, what's the Renaissance Festival? Never heard of that. <laughs> okay. So I had my oldest brother take me out to the Renaissance Festival fall of my senior year, which would have been 1979, okay. and went and saw these jugglers and was, oh, wow, kind of blown away. I remember um, Steve Russell, I'm pretty sure, was there. Al P. Johnson was a juggler that was there that I remember seeing and don't remember for sure beyond that that first year. But so that got me more interested. So I started learning. I was learning more in my senior year. I was learning to do the clubs, the rings and senior year what are you gonna right. do with your life <laughs> right, go to, maybe go to college maybe get a job what were you thinking I, I literally had no idea what i might want to go to college to study to become and i thought i maybe i'd like to be a juggler like i saw at the renaissance festival that looks kind of fun did you ever think like professional ski racer how far did you take your athletic career i no, i was i wasn't at that level gotcha of ski racing i was never dedicated enough from like a physical training not so much the skiing but the you know actual yeah. physical training it wasn't as big a thing back then anyway but yeah i i was not quite at the top of like the local ski scene but uh, i think i had more fun at ski races than anyone else so and what did your parents do did they give you any guidance at this point was there a family business to go into anything like that no uh my dad was a doctor family practice doctor. I, I, that was the only thing I knew I did not want to be a doctor okay. because I saw the hours he worked. Did he actually make house calls? Was he that kind of doctor? Like a... I don't think there was house calls. I know he'd be on call and sometimes just have to leave in the middle of the night. And But I still remember one day him coming home at about two o'clock and I said, well, what are you doing home so early? He said, well, it's my day off. So I only worked half a day. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was unusual? Like you, you didn't even realize he had a day off or something? Or Yeah, yeah. So it was like, okay. So was, I knew I didn't want the hours of a doctor. But she also you actually considered, I like to juggle. There were some jugglers at the Renaissance Fair. Maybe I'll do that. Right. That's what I literally thought. Maybe I could be a juggler like I saw at the Renaissance. So I just lived at home. I, wasn't, I was actually registered to go to University of Minnesota, Duluth. Two of my brothers went there. Duluth's kind of a cool town. Some of my ski racing friends were going to go there. I figured I can ski race with them for the university. And and ultimately just decided not to. It's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't need to go spend my dad's money when I've got no clue because that right. seems pointless. Yeah, so I graduated and lived at home and um, just you know worked part-time. And that next fall after I graduated, went to the Renaissance Festival twice. And all I did was run around watching the jugglers all day long, two or three times. And then for sure, I remember that we had Alpy Johnson out there rhyming Randy Aronson. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, oh wow, Randy Aronson. He could yeah. do seven balls, as I remember. Yeah, he was somewhere back in the early 80s, I think, won the seven balls at the IJA numbers when you could juggle them for a few was seconds. This, did he call himself Randy Planet? Was there... You know, he might have. Yeah. I just, what I know what sticks in my head was Ryman Randy Aronson. He did his, okay. whole, his whole show at the Renaissance in rhyme. Jim Ridgely, I saw Jim Ridgely that year. Was he on the, the slack rope? He was... Uh... Yes. Okay. First person I saw doing the slack rope. The only time I've ever seen Jim Ridgely in my life, actually. Yeah, Jim uh, was a Los Angeles guy. I grew up with Jim. And uh, he got into sound editing and became a sound editor and filmmaker in Los Angeles. Cool. Well, he was he was my inspiration for starting to do uh, the rope walking. Okay. But that first year, you just sort of wandered around and, and just sort of got the lay of the land? Yeah, well, that was, I, I was just, I wasn't working there. I was just you know, like I said, watched all the jugglers because now I was the first time there when I was really into it and thinking maybe this yeah. is something I could do. So then the next year, I graduated in 1980 and then fall of 1981, that year I got hired as a little street juggler. 
back when uh, Lee Walker, the entertainment director, was mm-hmm. hiring way too many juggling acts. And there was a, there was a juggling school there too. Gary, what was his last name? Gary, Gary Parker. Gary Parker. Gary Parker. He's he's not doing the juggling school, but he's still out there. Is he? Wow. Yeah, he does does his mandible mechanical man. He sits in this chair and has this cool, funky wooden mask and a thing on his chest with a crank. So it kind of, someone puts money in his basket, then he cranks and he'll throw a ball to him and catch it. And then it dies out until someone puts more money in his basket. Because that's one thing you could rely on for Minnesota was they had way too many jugglers. They did back in the day, way too many, but that's how I got in. So I'm thankful for it at the time. And Lee Walker was quite a character. I remember one time we were with Lee Walker, the power of the festival entertainment director was not supreme, but in that little kind of corner of the world, that figure did hold some power. So Lee yes. Walker did have his acolytes, you know, people that would follow him around and as he played some kind of royal characters, I remember. I remember one time he had a stick and he had one of his uh, minions put a ball in his mouth and he was going to knock the ball out of the guy's mouth <laughs> with a stick. Okay. As, like, as, as, as would a professional golfer. Right, right. But un- unfortunately, I do not believe Lee Walker had much golf training because he ended up giving the, the kid a pretty good whack in the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> he shook it off, but it was one of those moments like, uh, right. how far are you willing to go right. you know, to, to kiss up to the entertainment director? Yeah, that's commitment. That's commitment. That was commitment. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Now, what about FUD? Do you remember FUD? FUD. Oh, yes, FUD. I, FUD, FUD, did, FUD the Incredible Juggler, he called himself. Yep, FUD the Incredible Juggler. Uh, never did more than three of anything. He was basically out there doing that, paying his way through college. He had no intention of doing this ultimately for a living. Right. He was going to become an English teacher, which he did. He ended up he's te- teaching at high school somewhere in the cities, and I think he was running their theater department. It's been many years since I talked to him, but I did at one point a number of years after he was not at the festival anymore. But yeah, I used to hang out with him quite a bit mm-hmm. back, back in my early days there. And Krista Rippins was there in the early days. Now she went on to juggle on ice skates. Krista she did Rippins. ice skating, juggling, yeah. yes. And now she actually does, teaches yoga and I think Pilates and different, but fitness mm-hmm. industry yeah, yeah. doing stuff. Of course, John Wee was out there with his high school friend, Kai Fjellstead as the two of clubs. Yeah, we were, were we out there at that time? I think that was... Uh... My first year was 81, and I'm trying to think if you guys were 82 or 83 the first year out there. I think it was um, probably 82. Actually, it was 82. I remember now. For sure it was 82, because in 82, John and Kai came to the festival, and they showed me an issue of Juggler's World magazine, and that okay. there was an International Jugglers Association, which I did not know about and had not heard of, and they'd actually been to the festival in Santa Barbara that summer, and they were on the cover of the Juggler's World just walking around the bus that was part of a parade. Oh, right, right. Yeah, they had a, a – that was, I think, from Isla Vista. They had kind of an outdoor parade, and they had a mime pulling the bus. Yes, and they were just, like, walking around the bus, and they were on the cover, and I went, oh, I didn't know this existed. So I joined the IJA, and the next year, 1983 – uh, I went with John and Kai. We all went out to the Purchase New York one, mm-hmm. which is still something I have a hard time believing that they let us do because I actually took my family's van right. and drove the three of us out there. I was, what, 20, maybe sure. 20, 21 at the time, twenty, and John and Kai were still in high school, and somehow they let us do this, and I'd, I'd never driven you know, outside of my local area prior to that. <laughs> I remember Purchase, I remember the... It was in some kind of like glass ceiling gym, and it was extremely hot. Is that? You know, I don't remember the weather because that was my first convention. I just sure. remember jaw dropping, blown away. I think we got there like early the night before driving. We didn't time it right. And there were some people in the gym that had some videotapes of some of the great jugglers who I'd never seen or heard or knew nothing about. So my first night there, I'm watching videos of Francis Brunn and these other doing stuff I'd never didn't know existed, ball mouse stick, ball spinning, all of this, and was just right. like oh, that whole week just juggling and going to workshops, staying up late, doing combat, which was much more civil and less dangerous at the time. <laughs> I think I played once. I played combat one time until someone smacked me on the wrist. I thought, this isn't for me. What it's I not- found out at that convention was if you just stood behind Arsene, uh-huh. 
no one you, would touch you until there were a few people left because for whatever reason, no one would bother our sin <laughs> until there was a few people left. I remember when you go to your first festival, how things you take for granted now just blow your mind. I remember the first time I saw someone kick up a club, like a club had dropped and the guy rolled it up on his foot and kicked it up. Yeah. I thought, or someone curl a ball. You're like, yeah. like who knew that was possible? Yeah, so. yeah. And I, at the time, I think I could spin a ball, but I would set it up with two hands like I would from my very brief foray into freestyle Frisbee. Right. And I still remember bounce. Sure. Bounce and ooh la la. And I didn't know he was bounce at the time. Uh-huh. He came up and told me about how, you know, you really need to do that with one hand. You do it like this, learn to do it with one hand, and then you can do other things. Right. So that was probably the start now, of that. What do you think about that? Are you a guy who spins with one hand and then transfers it over? Like you have like the Michael Cherick, Francis Brun school, like they're going to spin with both hands equally. Other people, they'll spin with one hand, then pass it over. Yeah, no, I mean, spinning with both hands equally is definitely the more professional. And, you know, if you're truly a ball spinner, that's what you would do. Yeah. And I pass it over. (laughs) What about, uh, I think it's Dan, but then he puts one between his legs and then he passes it, which is probably... Uh, I, I don't ever, I, I don't ever have to stick anything between my legs. So uh, well, there's already one there for the backward roll, but, but I got to tell you once on the purchase, my first convention purchase New York. One of the memories that stands out for me is in the food line, you know, cause it was at the campus. Yeah. Uh-huh. So everyone was going in at the time in the food line and someone in front of me picks up three oranges and goes, Hey, Hey guys, look what I can do. Juggles them about six times sets them down and says, wouldn't I be great at a party? <laughs> is that, is that, right? that was, that was you. Was that me? That was you. <laughs> that was memorable for some reason? That was, was for I... some reason memorable. That is always stuck in my mind as being a very funny moment from that convention. My children are, are very aware of that one because I have done it around the house over the years. So I was being, uh, what was that word? Facetious. Correct. <laughs> I remember one festival, I forget where it was, but they had given out these, uh, walking sticks these two these like canes okay the canes were hollow and one of these cafeterias they had either olives or something that was very made a very good projectile i'll bet and so everybody had had taken their the cane caps off these canes and were using them as blowguns and were shooting across (laughs) the the entire cafeteria different blowgunned olives and wads of paper someone gave out a, a it was a prop they were thinking about making it like a cane Huh. Like a hollow cane for some right. reason. So funny. I don't know. I know. So anyway, yeah. So that was my first festival. Okay. Tried to go, you know, ever since if I can if I'm available and can afford to, I always try and go. There was a stretch there where I missed quite a few short went after I got married, but always love going. Now when you started off, did you think about doing a team thing or did you always think that you'd be a, a solo performer? You know, when I did it I just you know, I didn't know anybody that right. uh, was juggling, at least not around me. So solo was all I had going on. And I did, as you know, for a couple summers, I worked with John Wee. We were the original Passing Zone. So the name Passing Zone preceded Owen Morris. It did precede Owen Morris. That was John and I. We did two summers at the Colorado Renaissance Festival. He had been doing the Colorado Renaissance Festival as the two of clubs with his partner, Kai, and I had been there by myself. And I think it was two or three summers that we did that festival. And I remember the one summer, John and I just found, you know, we really got along real well and had a similar sense of humor. And Kai had said he wasn't sure he wanted to do it the next year. And so we thought, well, maybe we should do this next year. And I remember that based on stages they were getting as a team, as opposed to what I was getting by myself, they actually tended to make almost double what I was making. So I said, oh, that'll work out. By the same token, when it came around time for Minnesota, I did not want to work with him because it was going to be too much of a pay cut. Right, right. You already had established as a solo. My hat there was pretty comparable to what they were doing. And so we did the two summers and yeah, it was great. It was fun. We did the Boulder Mall quite a bit. And were you two ever confused as brothers? Because you're very physically very similar. Constantly. Yeah. Constantly. We, we more than once had to pull out our driver's licenses to prove we weren't related. I think at the last festival, didn't you guys also trade pants? Did you also keep, are you still wear the same size, same waist and pants? Was that? Well, the... his, his was a little loose on me. <laughs> was it a little loose? <laughs> it was a little loose. He put loose. on a pound or two? You said, it was a his, little loose, but. His 29-inch waist has, uh, has, has gotten kind of chubby for you? I don't know, but, but, but we're close. We're close. <laughs> exactly. Because last year, I think you had to step in last minute. You were at the yes. festival in El Paso, 
and they had lost a performer, and you stepped in and did your uh, uh, quadruple ball roll back roll. Yes, I did. And so I... Uh, you had to borrow some clothes. Ironically enough, that's the second time I borrowed clothes from John for the Cascade of Stars. Uh, what was the first time then? When you were in charge of it, and you had me introducing Alexander Koblikov. Koblikov, yes. I think it's Koblikov. And it was something that just came up at the festival, same thing. And, and I did the four-ball backward roll there. Oh, I remember. Yeah, they had to set up, uh, I think, Aurelia Katz. They were going to set up an aerialist, and we had to fill up some time or something like that. I, I know there was just, yeah, there was something, and you needed some time filled. So I was like, yeah, I, I can do that. Let me see if I can find some clothes. There you go, John Wee. John's, yeah, he's, he's, he's got a better wardrobe than I do. So. so after you went back to Minnesota, is that when he teamed up with Owen? And then basically then that kind of shut off that... Uh... Well, well, we did the two summers. And that second summer, we kind of decided, you know, he likes to pass clubs. I like right. to spin a ball on my finger. And so at Ohio, apparently he had met Owen the year before, which I didn't know until, I think, listening to the podcast you did with <laughs> them, actually. Right, right, right. And so then in Ohio, they talked more and did stuff. They had it set up that when John graduated that spring from college, I think it was that spring, right. or next year, then he moved to California while Owen was finishing up college and started working together. Yeah, I'm thinking back. Wasn't there a, a three of clubs? Yeah, the very yes. Actually, the 1981, my first year, which was also their first year, mm -hmm. it was John and two of his friends from high school, the three of clubs. It was John, Kai, and Joel. Right. And facing on Joel's last name. But, uh, and Joel was just there for the one year. And I saw Kai, I think he came, maybe not to El Paso, but he's been quite a few uh, IGA festivals. Yeah, I think it's been a while, but he was been at some. Yeah, definitely. You always like combination tricks. That's something you're known for. Did you always were inspired by, say, Francis Brunn? Or why the interest in combination tricks? Well, first of all, Francis, best ever for me. That's, That's your number one guy. Who's my number one guy? It's absolutely Francis Brown. Just, yeah, the precision. And I never get tired of watching video of him do his stuff. And there's always something I go, oh, my gosh, look at that. It's just, that's so precise. It's so amazing. So, yeah, somewhere, I think that it just must have started at that first convention when I saw a video of people doing ball mouse stick and doing the comedy and doing this other stuff. And part of it for me, is like the combination trick and the, doing the freestanding ladder, the rope walking, is I like getting my whole body involved in it. So I, I like tricks that just really involve the whole body. So balancing on something obviously brings in the legs, the combination trick, put to it, getting the ring spinning and all that then brings that into play. And I think a lot of that comes from my growing up, the ski racing, the skateboarding, the water skiing, you know, all that. It was always a lot of very balance related things and played soccer growing up. So a lot of, I guess, lower body physical activity. And speaking of the mouse, I remember meeting you, I think maybe we were doing a show. I think it might have been Reno. Yes. And at that time, you had some missing teeth from, <laughs> from the mouth. That's funny. You remember that. Yeah, yeah, because it, uh, it was quite noticeable. And you had knocked them out or somehow lost them using the mouth. Yes, stick. yes. I, I was in Colorado. I was, uh, this was after John and I had been together. And then there was a few summers after that where I was out there either working the Renaissance and I did a couple summers where I just went to Colorado for the summer and worked the Boulder mall and some other street performing gigs that I was able to find up in the mountains, living up in, uh, in the Keystone area of summit County in the mountains. I was driving where I, so anyway, well, Dewey that summer and I was doing, I think a July 4th, something going on in, uh, at Vail, some Vail festival or the Vail arts festival at a different time, but I was in Vail street performing and I'd been learning ball mouse stick. And I told these people here, this, let me do this in front of you before we really get the show going, because I need to get used to doing this in front of people. Right. A little pre-show. Yeah. And so what I used to do was just roll the ball onto my foot and then kick it up and put it on the mouse stick. You know, I'd done it hundreds of times. And for some reason, this time when I did that, my head went down, my knee came up, and I Ooh. ran my knee into the end of the mouse stick and broke both my two front teeth in half, basically. And... Yeah, I mean, it broke them in half. I went into a restaurant. I was like, I don't know what I can do. I'd better go out and do a show because I got some dental bills coming up. Yeah. And so I went back out and did the show. And actually, it was after the show or an hour later, a guy actually came up and went, here, I found this. And it was that one of the halves of one of my teeth. Because didn't you knock them out again? I didn't knock 
about Achaeans per se. I know there was a t <laughs> there was there was a period where I had temporaries before they were done for sure. I and the temporary right. I think came out once or twice. But I do remember, yeah, you guys, I was driving to California for some reason from out west, I think, and going through Reno. You know, I was going to visit Krista Rippins out in California mm -hmm. and some others mm -hmm. just doing a trip and was driving through Reno. And I think I was just going to spend the night at my parking lot at, you know, one of the casinos. And as I drove up, I saw on the sign the Respini brothers. Yeah, I think that we played that. I think we were playing a comedy club at... Uh... Gosh, I don't remember the name of the hotel. Was it the Nugget? I don't know, but it was the night Wally Eastwood came to your show and did ping pong ball. Oh, right, right. We brought him up from the audience, right? I missed, I, I, I saw you right after. I didn't see it. I see. I saw it when you came out. Yeah, I think the idea was Barry was going to have trouble. And I was going to say, like, oh, that's so easy. Anybody, random person from the audience can do it. And I was going to pull up Wally Eastwood, who, of course, could do three, like, uh, you know, for as long as he wanted. Right. Oh, that was funny. Now, I remember, yeah, I remember we got a meal together, and I remember thinking, wow, Tui lost his teeth. <laughs> yes, remember. yep, that must have been shortly after that. Yes, I did. And, uh, yeah, so my two front teeth are, are not real, and I've never knocked them out again. But also you became quite well known as a, a maker of mouth sticks. Yeah, I, I'd always made my own. I mean, they didn't, no one else was making them as far as I knew, and I had some skills. I took a woods class in high school, and, and so over the years, occasionally someone would say, can you make me a mouse stick? I hear you make a good mouse stick. I sold some to the flame, flaming idiots back in the day, and, and especially my ball-spinning mouth sticks, I made those with ball bearings, so the ball spins longer. Like like a pedestal mouse stick? What do you mean, uh, the... The mouse it spins longer on a on a point. So there's a ball bear there's a ball bearing mechanism in the tip of the mouse stick, like just like the one you would use in your mouth. The mouse stick that I spin balls on, like if you're only doing three of something, is in fact the design was originally based on you're in Barry's mouth sticks that you spun a plate on. Yeah, the angle you mean? Yeah, that yeah. kind of the, the piece with the other one sticking into it was my yeah. original design based on that. And Years ago at one of the IJAs, some guy, I have no idea who, was selling mouth sticks with ball bearings in them. And I never tried one. I always meant, oh, I, sh I should come back here with a ball and try one of these. Because he had made the mistake of not having a ball there to show people what a difference it makes. Right. And the, his designs, I just, they, they weren't anything I wanted or needed. So then when I got home, I thought, oh, I should try that. So I rigged one in the end of a dowel with a ball, a yo-yo bearing, and spun a ball on it. And it just kept spinning. I was like, I ran upstairs, went, honey, honey, look, look, <laughs> right. on a ball, set it on it and went, no, no, keep looking, keep looking. You see? No, no, it's still spinning. It's so that's like a big great. deal. <laughs> it's like my wife last night, I showed her, uh, I have this spinning bowl trick. I put some new balls in there. Like, honey, look at this. Come, come look. <laughs> yeah. Come exactly. watch. Yes. It never stops, does it? it never yes. stops. And so that was that was rather, you know, somewhat life changing sure. in the realm of the ball spinning and what you could do with it and, and things. And do you have a uh, website for that? I mean, we'll give you a, a plug later on, too. But is that something you only sell at festivals or how does someone get a mouse stick by Chewy? At the moment, festivals or I've sold a few people contact me on Facebook. I keep thinking if I get a point where I've got like an actual somewhat of a supply, then I might put it out there more officially. So depending on what someone wants, I might currently have it. Because if it's something I have to make, I, I make no guarantees on how long it will be before I get to it. Now, I recommended you to someone the other day, uh, Matt Ricardo. Did he ever reach out to you? He wanted a, a, a point on point, like a like one of those kind of mouse sticks, like for a knife. Oh, okay. Uh, no, he has not. Not yet, anyway. Would that be something within your area of expertise, a point on point knife balance? Actually, maybe he did. And I remember saying that that's not something I have made. Now that you think it's... I started thinking about it and went, uh, I don't know. I don't have time, I think, to figure that one out right now. So. It'd be pretty specialized. I think that, that actually is quite a dangerous trick. Your mouth stick is like a, a knife. So yeah. Like the handle of the knife is in your mouth, and the blade of the knife sticks forward, and you balance like a saber or some other kind of knife uh, point to point. Yeah, that sounds like yeah, more of a metalworking thing, and I'm more of a woodworking. It's my skill set. Yeah, I remember reading some stories, too, about somebody who... I think they would climb a ladder and it fell off and punctured their chest. Oh, oh yeah, that's right, where they tip it up vertically. So, it, yeah, I remember seeing pictures of that. So you want a professional. Don't go to Tui for that. I, I wouldn't want to be responsible for that prop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <He's> not <laughs> Something goes wrong. Your, your pierced checks with your 
bout-to-mouth uh, knife balancing. So don't go to Tui for that one. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, so a few years back, I just, you know, was going to IG, you know, maybe I'll finally just make some and go there and try and sell them instead of just waiting for, it was, maybe it'll cover the cost of going to the festival. And because a lot of it, why I never put it out there was like, well, not a lot of people do this. I don't know that I want to help increase that number because I do it. Well, I don't think the market either, even if you were had the, the best mouse stick on the market, it's just I don't think the interest is really there that much. It takes an unusual person to, to I think it's a hard it's a hard prop. I've tried it myself and it's a it's like you say, it's also one of those full body props. Yeah. Where, and it's not it's not comfortable. No. The ball mouse stick isn't comfortable. I mean just spinning a ball on a ball spinning mouse stick's not a big deal. No, but the heaviness of the ball like the for the, like the Francis Brun or the or the flat kind or the where the ball sits on it and you catch it like tossed yep. from the audience or tossed in the air and then caught, it's quite a lot of pressure on the mouth and lips and the teeth. That takes a little, yeah, that takes a little getting used to, to be sure. Now, how does your career progress? So you started at the Renaissance Fairs. You you, you started a little bit with uh, John Wee. You started doing your own solo show at the fairs. Then how long before you became like a full-time professional and, and what kind of venues and gigs did you do? Yeah, that took a number of years. I used to read meters sometimes for a company my brother worked for. When I needed other work or my other brother, I would help with rehabbing houses for a guy he worked for. My oldest brother's a very skilled sheetrocker. Yeah, so the Renaissance Festival, I, I did the Georgia Renaissance Festival for many years. That was a spring festival. You know, summertime, I would usually get a few things, maybe county fairs, uh, stuff like that. Then in 2002, mm-hmm. I did my first stint at the Dixie Stampede in Branson, Missouri. And that was a seven days a week and was there for three months. Wait, seven days a week? Yes. For th- three months straight? Yes. Now, I've heard of Branson quite a bit. I've never actually been there. I think I drove through once, like, during the day when no shows were taking place. Right. Describe to the listeners exactly what is Branson. Branson, Missouri. It's the G-rated Las Vegas of the central United States, <laughs> I guess. Right, it's like one long strip, and there's lots of theaters. There's theater, yeah, a lot of music, uh, a lot of music. It's apparently its heyday was really, basically post pre nine eleven, from what people tell me, that they used to. I mean, that back when you used to have people who were big names or used to be big names opening theaters. You know, Rich Little used to have a theater there. Kenny Rogers, the Osmonds, you know, people like that. That and apparently all they had to do was open a theater, and they were just raking it in pretty quickly and now some theaters don't have anything or they're fighting to do it the place i worked the dixie stampede was a big dinner show in an arena with horses and you know riders from the north versus the riders from the south and uh north side of the south versus this wow okay south side i always say think if you're familiar with medieval times and i've never been to one but by description think medieval times but civil war era in middle times like a renaissance fair themed restaurant they right. have jousting, and they'd have jesters, things of that nature. It's the same kind of thing. They've got a meal with no silverware. You get gotcha. your chicken and different things like that. But prior to the main show, there's a pre-show in what they call the carriage room. The purpose of the pre-show is basically to try and have everyone there when the main show starts. Because it's it doesn't work real well to keep feeding people into that once gotcha. it's going. So they want to just ship them all in. This is how it works. This is how your dinner works. So the pre-show was a reason to get there early. And so what I was doing was the pre-show, and that was 30 minutes, just me on the stage, just in the round, and it, which was, I mean, it was convenient. I'd just do my show. After the show, I'd straighten out my props, and they're ready to go to the next day or the next show that day. It was usually one or two shows a day. Right. Depending on the, this last, let's see, last time I did it was 2000, what is it, 2017 now? 2015, I did October through the end of the season, which was January 2nd. Right. And once they get into the Christmas season and do their Christmas show, we were actually having five shows Saturdays. Five shows a day. Five shows a day. So I was going on at 9, 10 in the morning to do the pre-show for the 10 o'clock dinner show. And that's not seven days a week still, you're saying? No, that was just on Saturdays. I got you. That's a different part of the season. Yeah. During that time, a, a lot of your Monday through maybe Thursday were even still one show days. But once you hit the weekend, there'd be a lot of people that have made it part of their Christmas tradition who are within driving distance. And I hear they have both kinds of music there, country and Western. Is that right? That is correct. That is correct. <laughs> now, do you do a kind of a, a country theme or just basically your, your regular show? My regular show. The first, When I first did it, I did have, you know, I wore jeans, which I hardly ever wear in normal life, let alone sure, sure. on stage, and, and a Western shirt. 
And, you know, at one point they said, you know, we officially like you, but if there's anything you could do to make your act more Western, right. that'd be great. Yeah. And, and so I was like, well, you know, we could put a horse head on the pogo stick. <laughs> right, I right. Kind of taking Vince Bruce's bit. And Vince Bruce was mostly working that venue when I started. Right. And Vince Bruce, for people who don't know, was a fan, what was a fantastic rope and whip artist. Unfortunately, yeah, amazing. Uh, amazing. passed away, what, about 10, 15 years ago, Tui, you think? or I, I'm not sure. I didn't know him. I just... It's, it's been a while. I, I overlapped with him once or twice doing yeah. the at Stampede and talked to him then, but... Yeah, nice, great great guy, great act, and uh, a real loss of variety. Yeah. And so we did that. I put it, We put a cowboy hat on the thing that I stick on a volunteer and was there from 2002 to 2006 doing anywhere from three months. I think one year I did three months in the spring and the fall. In 2007, I did their Florida location, which no longer exists. And then I wasn't back again until 2012. And when I came back, turned out I did not need to look Western or anything and mm. could just dress right. normal. I, apparently, I have David David Lee to thank for that. I got you. you. Just went in like a regular outfit, and they're like, "That's working." Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I came in. I think I came in. I was in the area that spring before I was going to be there that summer, and saw David Lucas, mm -hmm. uh, also David, Albert Lucas' brother. Yeah. And he was working there at the time, and I saw him. I said, "Wait a minute, how's he getting by with that outfit?" <laughs> right, right. So I asked him about. it. He said, "No, no, I, I got him trained now. You can, you're good. Just wear what you normally wear." Yeah, I remember Albert years and years ago uh, at a gig in Atlantic City, and he was one of the first people to convince him that he didn't have to wear makeup. Like, you know, like you always had to wear stage makeup. And he said, right. no, I'm not going to do that. Because he wanted to go out in between the shows and go out to dinner and stuff. Right. I I've never worn stage makeup. I wouldn't know what to do with it. Well, back in like the review show days, back in the... I would imagine, yeah. Like our first gigs, we were wearing, you know, the one-piece jumpsuits and makeup. So that... Thank, thank goodness you didn't have to go through that, Tui. You never had to suffer. Actually, Albert Lucas also worked that same venue, so I have a couple times crossed over and actually got to hang out with him for a number of days when he didn't leave town right away. And, uh, and that was enjoyable. He's got lots of good stories and just super nice guy, super generous. And, you know, I'd never really known him before that. Well, if he listens to the Tui episode, I hope he'll consider coming on the podcast. I've always had a lot of admiration for, for Albert. A lot of warm feelings because I've, I know I've related this story before of meeting him when I was like 16 years old. Yeah. When, yep. when I went to the Ice Capades and I, I brought my devil stick for some reason with me to the show just in case there was a juggler. And he was nice enough to invite me backstage and not, not treat me like the kooky juggler kid I was. So yeah, uh, if he is listening to this, uh, Albert, please get, contact me. I'd love to have you on the, on the podcast. Cause when this comes out, I'll email him and say, here's the podcast I'm on. And, uh, yeah. you know, Dan wants you. Because back in my day, that's, those were the guys. I mean, Francis Brunn was sort of far removed from our consciousness. Like we couldn't imagine meeting or seeing Francis Brunn. But guys like Albert Lucas and Dick Franco, they were like one step above us. They were like the generation before us. Even though I think Albert's only a few years older than me. But since he started right. as a kid was already a seasoned professional by the time I met him. So these yeah. are the guys I looked up with, well, up to, especially Albert and, and Dick Franco. Yeah, so I remember my second uh, IJA was Las Vegas in, mm -hmm. I think, 84. And, you know, Albert was there and Dick Franco was there. You know, Albert did some numbers. And, and I just, that was the first time I saw them. I would have never necessarily guessed or thought that somewhere down the line I'd be working the same venue that Dick Franco and Albert Lucas had worked, but because uh, Dick had also worked at the Stampede. Yeah, very early in our career, uh, we stepped in for Michael Cherick at a gig, and for us that was like once again you're like, oh my God, we're doing the same job as Michael Cherick because back in the day, and you're you're about my age, Tui, you're what fifty four, fifty four. I'm a year older. Like all we saw, like you say, were these videos were professionals, were Francis Brunn and Dick Franco. Right. People didn't make practice videos back then. So these, these jugglers, like a Chris Cremo, they did become like these legendary figures. Yeah, and absolutely. You, and when you, you thought, like I remember seeing a video of Michael Cherick, like I think it was uh, Circus Circus in Reno. And on the video, I thought Circus Circus Reno had to be this amazing location. Right. And then when you finally see it or you finally work these things yourself, you go, oh, oh, I get it. Yep. You know, <laughs> yep. not quite as uh, mythical as yeah. we build it up to be in our minds sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say I had a thought earlier when we were talking about the, the ball bearing and when I got on that and how that changed thing. 
I know a trick you mentioned before we started this that you wanted to ask about was the shooting them the Nerf arrows with the spinning balls. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, set that up for us. You you uh, you have a ball spinning on each hand. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So I've got a, a mouth stick that has what is it now? Seven Nerf arrows on it. So there's seven things that stick out, and the Nerf arrow sits on those. It's like if you picture the wheels in a batting thing that, that, you know, the shoot, ball out. that shoots a baseball in a batting cage. <laughs> yeah, the two spinning wheels, yeah. Yeah, the ball spinning on each hand, opposite directions, in such a way that when I bring them together against the Nerf arrow, it shoots the Nerf arrow. Prior to the ball spinning, I, or for the ball bearings, I did three Nerf arrows. Right. That's as long as the ball would spin. And then after the ball spinning, it was, uh, well, how many Nerf arrows can I get away with now? And I concluded six was a good number. And I now I do the last two together, so I have seven on there. So they're not, they're not spinning on your fingers, then. They're spinning on sticks or... or... Yeah, yeah. I've just got a little thing in my hand that they I spin gotcha. as a ball-bearing mechanism. Just I a little, see, yeah, I see. Stick. And oh, that one, I, I did have to learn to spin the right hand the opposite direction mm. to get it to spin the correct direction. That trick started backstage at the Atlanta Shakespeare Tavern many years ago during the Georgia Renaissance Festival. The Atlanta Shakespeare's Tavern on the weekend used to have what they were calling Renaissance Vaudeville. And so three or four of the acts from the Renaissance Festival, we'd go there and do the Atlanta Shakespeare right. Tavern at Renaissance Festival clothes. Uh, Dead Bob, uh-huh. Clark Ork, would do, would MC the show. and With his puppet. He had like a skeleton his, puppet. Yeah, skeleton puppet. And there's the Zucchini Brothers, who mm-hmm. also go back to the early days of the Minnesota Renaissance. I know one's uh, name is Jim Van Hook. Jim Van Hook and Todd Key. Oh, yeah, Todd Key, exactly, who has a... a We're still working like under under a different name, right? Flying Debris or Flying Debris is what he calls the show. Yep, correct. Old jugglers never never die. They just fade. They just fade away from my memory. That's That's right. That's right. (laughs) So we're sitting backstage, and we just that's when we discovered that if you put a spinning ball on a cordless drill with a Phillips bit and pull the trigger, it'll keep the ball spinning. And so then we concluded, well, if we go in reverse, it'll go the other way. And I, I could spin the other way just enough to get it on the drill and then get the speed up. And that's when we conclude, well, if we take another ball, I suppose we could shoot pencils through there. (laughs) Right. So we sat backstage shooting pencils through the couple balls on the drills. And uh, for years, I'd come down to the Georgia Renaissance and Todd would go, so you do anything with that, you know, shooting things with spinning balls yet? And I had in my mind envisioned like, you know, something with a pointy thing. I'd, you know, kick a orange up from my foot and actually shoot it in the air or something like <laughs> right, that. Right, 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 right. Uh, that did not, there was, that didn't work no. at all. And one day I'm walking through the house in the basement and I notice my son's Nerf bow and arrow and one of the Nerf arrows. And I just kind of looked at it and went, huh. Eureka. And I went and grabbed my backward roll mouth stick, a straight mouth stick, stuck it on that, spun the balls, and I went, oh, that's it. <laughs> That's it. And so I started working on that reverse spin more and became what it is today. You do that uh, while you're on the, the freestanding ladder, is that right? Correct, on the freestanding ladder, just on the normal height where your the rung is in your legs. But you also you also stand on the top, right? You also have a trick, was it five rings? I think you have something spinning on your head, if I'm not mistaken. Correct, yeah, ball spinning on a head pedestal and five rings while standing on the foot plates on the top of the ladder. What inspires someone to go all the way up to the footplates? They saw it done. I know, I know Popovich, that's the style, the style I saw initially. Like, like when you think of the freestanding ladder, a lot of guys straddle the top rung. Like they'll straddle the top Correct. rung. And that'll give them the stability they need to take their hands off so they can juggle. Correct. But there are some people who place pedestals on the top rungs. So they sit like parallel to the floor. They're very small. Yeah. But they actually step up and put their feet on top of these pedestals and kind of wobble back and forth for stability. Yep. And those people we call crazy. And you were one of those people. I like to think so. How how hard is that? It it took a little while. I had done the regular height for a number of years before I learned the top. I can tell you this, when I first tried to learn the top, I actually crashed head first to a cement floor. Oh, how were your teeth? Did you lose your teeth again or? No, I didn't. I, I, uh, I sprained my wrist on that one. Okay. How high up are you on the top of that? Is that like 10 feet or what is that? Yes, Daniel. It's 10 feet. <laughs> That's too high. Okay. No. Oh, it's not 10 feet? These days, it's six feet. Six feet, oh. two inches, technically. Tells you what I know. Okay. Now, Popovich was like a 10 foot. Popovich. 
Yeah, mine used to be about six inches higher, and then I made a new ladder for that it would work better for travel back when I turned 50, and I decided, you know, I'm 50. <laughs> I can take six inches off of this. That's okay. Exactly, exactly. So impressive, though. And, yeah, and I saw that done, Michael James, at one of the IJAs back in the 80s. That's the first time I saw the foot plates. Oh, okay. Right, right. I don't remember Michael James, but I don't remember that festival particularly. Yeah, and the first time I saw a ladder was at the Las Vegas one in '84, uh, and Murph did a just a wooden ladder mm -hmm. competing in teams with Arsene. Right, right. And that's what inspired me to try and learn the ladder. I literally went home after that festival, took our old wooden ladder at the house that we didn't use anymore, chopped it down, chopped a rung out, and within a week I could juggle three balls standing on my driveway. Well, you've taken that ladder thing pretty far because you have another trick called the rope walking inferno. And that's yes. like a that's like a ladder on a freestanding rope on a rope. Would you have something between your teeth to hold the? You explain it. What is what exactly is the rope walking inferno? Well, first of all, I, I have changed the name now to the rope ladder inferno since I'm not actually walking or ah, anything. Ah, okay, yeah, don't mislead uh, people. Yeah. And because John, we said I should. So of course. And so actually, and this was many years ago. I don't know, 80s, 90s on a Juggler's World or Juggle magazine. They used to have a thing called the back page, and it would be a black and white picture of someone from years ago. There was a picture of a guy named George Lurch. Okay, and, right standing yeah. on a ladder on a slack wire juggling three clubs. So you have your slack rope or your rope, and then the ladder sits parallel with the rope. So the ends of the ladder sit on the rope, and you have something on the end of the ladder so it you know hooks on the rope, as it were, so it doesn't slide off. And then you hold the ladder out to your side. Yeah, with one foot on it. Yeah, I only stand on the bottom rung. Okay. But, so if you can picture standing on the bottom rung and hanging out of the top rung with my hand, like it's all on my left side, yeah. and then you can hold there and you can balance there. And then I've got webbing tied to the top rung that I hold that between my teeth. <laughs> okay. So now I can let go with my hand and both hands are free. Right. So, but you have one foot on the ladder, but the top of the ladder is, is held between your teeth like a cord. So you can take both hands off. Correct. Correct. Okay. All right. And um, already crazy. Gotcha. So now you're free to to juggle. And years and years ago, when I first saw the picture, I, I remember trying it behind my tent at the Georgia Renaissance and having it, it, you know nothing. It, you got to be kidding, kind of reaction yeah. to trying it. And then what that was now four years ago now or five years ago. I, I know I was 50 when I started working on it, so I concluded it was just I wasn't old enough and wise enough yet to <laughs> okay. how to learn it. And your teeth weren't and, strong enough again. And I actually did it, uh, in a ham uh, fold up hammock stand in my basement okay so it was a couple inches but then i had the wall for the ladder to get lean against in a a stool that i could step on right to try and find that balance point as opposed to just standing there on the rope sure, going, sure. how do i get on the ladder and with that fairly quickly i realized you know this is doable and i decided maybe i can premiere this at the renaissance festival this fall so i just kept working on it until spring came and then i moved outside and six inches at a time. I worked it higher off the ground and practiced falling off it. And, and what I'd always envisioned, if I learned this, because for many years at the Renaissance, I would light some of my rope on fire and walk through it while I juggled fire. Right. I thought if I do that, what I can do is have the rope lit on fire and that'll go. And then we can light the uprights of the ladder on fire. And then I light my torches off of that and juggle the torches. So everything's on fire. That's what it became. How do you keep Tui from catching on fire? You're just not in it long. Sometimes it gets really hot really fast, and I don't oh. know what's going on atmospherically or something. There are right. times where I'm like, I got to get out of here, and my face is going to melt off like Raiders of the Lost Ark because this is just too hot. It's a wooden ladder, right? It's not aluminum or something like that. Uh, it is aluminum. It is. Actually, I have a wooden, I have a wooden one that I've used at times too. Yes. And then I've, so I've got wick, wicking up the sides of the ladder, you know, that hold the gas. Yeah. Wow. I just think that would get hot so fast. It does. It gets, it gets real hot. <laughs> it depends if the wind, sometimes the wind is just right where it's like, oh, this is no problem. I can go as long as I want. And sometimes it's okay, quick, do enough throws to make this look right and then get out of here. Is that like a, a finale trick or is that something you would do a, on a regular basis? How many times a day would you do this ladder walking inferno? Well, yeah, that's just my little warm up trick. <laughs> is, that, is that your warm up trick? No, that is the finale. Okay, well, at the, Renaissance, at the Renaissance Festival, it would be five times a day. Wow. Like you're talking about this other gig that's you know three months long, every seven days a week. How do you stay in shape? I know fitness is a big part of your, of your, your life and your career. What tips and recommendations do you have for these sort of long, what some people like myself would consider grueling 
Like our record was only 21 shows in two days that was back in the back in the day. You still got me beat. <laughs> <laughs> that was like at uh, Dickens on the Strand, uh, Galveston, yeah, but, Texas, years ago. But there was two of you. You only had to do half of it. Exactly. How do you do it? How do you keep your focus? And how do you keep your physical conditioning so you can get through all those shows? Somewhere in my 40s, because I didn't ever really used to. My body just did what it needed it to do. It was always functional. You know, I'm one of these guys that doesn't really gain weight no matter what I do. And then in my 40s, one time after a Renaissance Day, I went, oh, that hurts. That's that's different than being tired. <laughs> right, right. That's old tired. That's old hurt. And maybe I should look into making sure I can keep doing this since that's how I feed my family. Right. So I know 10 years now, maybe a little more, I, a lot of reading on fitness, strength conditioning. Yeah, strength training has been a big thing. Mobility work, making sure that my body moves everywhere, that I can squat deeply, which is, helps when getting on the rope, getting on top of the ladder. One of the things I've started, you know, learned this last year or two is the idea of moving all my joints through their full range of motion at least once a day. Right. Like a yoga or a stretching uh, no, routine? Or just stretching or stretching or even just literally like just stand there. Okay. I'm going to you know, run right. my arm through forward, backwards, same with her wrist, everything else, maybe just a morning warm up. It'll, it'll vary from day to day where I put it in. Sometimes it's part of my juggling warm up, but m- moving, just movement is crucial and moving in ways that you maybe don't normally, you know, how often sure. do you put your arm above your head on any regular basis? And if not, well, you should, otherwise your body's going to get used to not being able to do that. I found in this last year that just hanging has been helpful mm-hmm. for my shoulder, which is low level bothered me for years. Literally just, you know, like hanging on a pull-up bar with your hands straight forward and you just hang and try and accumulate a number of minutes throughout the day. Now I find traveling with my stuff can be very physically taxing. I know you've been doing some some cruises in addition to your other work. Do you bring like kind of a altered set or do you try to bring the, like you said, you have a travel ladder. Do you also bring some kind of portable slack rope rig with you? Not yet. I've got, I've got one out in the garage that's pretty close to being that. I've been working on that off and on for a couple of years, trying to build something that would function in that, in that way, but not be real heavy. I mean, literally, I'm trying to make one out of aluminum that's not going to weigh more than 25 or 30 pounds. Right, because you know, obviously now traveling with the, the excess baggage and if you, if you have more than 100 pounds of equipment, the fees really add up. Now, are, are you currently doing cruises now? What's, what's, what does your schedule look like, uh, like in 2017? Where can we, where can we see Tui? What, what, what do you have coming up for yourself? Well, at the moment, I'm quite open for the spring and hoping to get some ship work uh, based on the last couple of years. That's very likely. I've been tending to work for one of the cruise lines, which doesn't book too far ahead. So we'll have to wait right. and see. But summertime comes around and I've got some you know, local fairs, a couple county fairs, uh, the Renaissance Festival next fall. Now, the Danger Committee, they're out there too in Minnesota? Correct. Correct. Yes. That's where they uh, are, are from as well. Yeah, I was just working on the flyer. Uh, for our welcome show at the IAJ, because we have a team show, a combination of the Danger Committee and the Passing Zone. Yes, I'm very excited for that. Remember, actually, John told me about that is how I first heard about it. And I just remember thinking, oh, I want to play. <laughs> well, you're going to play, though, but probably not gonna in that play. show. Maybe yeah. they're going to invite you for that show, too, because maybe uh, John might want to do some kind of magic illusion and use you as a body double, perhaps. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Like yeah. a David Copperfield uh, Christopher Hart kind of yeah 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 I think John and Owen have been looking into adding magic to their show big big (laughs) substitution trunk or something but you're going to be there as the uh, host you're going to host not only just do your uh, like be called upon last minute to fill time but we're actually calling upon you months and months ahead of time to prepare your best material to host the juniors competition that is correct Uh, I am looking forward to that I've never hosted a competition before I am looking forward to that it's, it'll be interesting because it's, it's a different, in my mind, the hosting the competitions, at least when the competitors are going and in between competitors, the idea is not to do like your normal show stuff, right? still be, still be somewhat engaging. And then once they're done, you get maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes to, you can pull something out that you would normally do. Yeah. I guess the idea is that while the people are competing, you don't want to go like, oh, you thought that was good. Now watch this. Right, exactly, exactly. So <laughs> exactly, you don't want to you don't want to show them up too much. And I hear that the space is kind of limited for the MC a bit, so we're gonna have to open up the curtain for you to do some of your your bigger stunts, I believe. Okay, well that yeah, we I, I wouldn't be till they're all done if I do anything. Exactly. So. And now with the computerized system, there's a lot less time, but I think we're actually build in some time 
there make is. sure you can do 10 there or 15 is. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and because especially with the juniors, because it is a shorter night yes. than, say, the teams and individuals at that point. Yeah, we have the youth showcase earlier. And then the, the big event of the night is the juniors. And of course, you're... Your role as MC is to give you plenty of time to also share the gifts that, that Tui brings. And uh, that, that will be my goal. That will be my goal. And you're going to stay for the entire festival, I hope? Yes, absolutely. Going to stay. I'm hoping to bring my youngest daughter is 17, and I'm hoping to have her be able to come. She, she juggles a little. Actually, both my daughters do aerial art stuff. And I had my older daughter with me three years ago or so, and she enjoyed it. And since this is only three hours from my house, it's a convenient one to try and bring my younger daughter with. And you see that we have the aerial arts classes. Uh... I, I did see that. And I no, I'm super excited. I'm so pumped for this festival. You are too, truly just bringing it. Peter Davison solo show. Can't wait. That's probably what I'm most excited about. As festival director, I had to go back and go, okay. I got to get Peter Davison. I mean, as far as someone in my era and someone who's, who's maintained this level of excellence and, and just consistency and just, there's, there's a couple of guys I always go back to. Yeah. Chris Cremo, Anthony Gatto, and Peter Davidson. I always lump those three guys together, even though they're all so different, so diverse. And of course, Jay Gilligan too. I got to see Air Jazz back in the day in Boulder at the, doing a full show at the Chautauqua Theater in Boulder a couple times back when I was doing the Colorado Renaissance Festival back in the 80s. So very fond memories of them and his work and uh, just love to watch him move. Yeah, they were just, I think, just too experimental. They, they weren't willing to kind of go to that kind of really commercial place or just do their club routine in a Vegas review show. I think the world wasn't ready for air jazz at that time. But man, those of us who saw them do their entire show, it was so different than anything that's ever come and gone before. Oh yeah, yeah, it was fabulous. Yeah, I've never seen his solo show. I saw some clips though. And the thing about Peter is he brings so much experience and talent like to each moment. Like, you know, so being on stage for some people is sort of a fully realized experience. I kind of feel the same when I watch like Avner the Eccentric. Like they bring so much experience to their moments on stage. Every moment they're there, they occupy the space, if I can be kind of metaphysical. Avner is one of the guys I've unfortunately never seen perform. Whenever he'd come through here, I'd find out about it a week later. He actually, the, the where I work at the Renaissance Festival, he worked between those same two trees hmm. back in the day before right, right, right. I was ever there. And I'll put in a plug the podcast you did with Avner the Eccentric, that's a good one to listen to. Lots of just good information about performing. Because you told me before the podcast, and I'm sure you're probably one of the only people, that you've heard every podcast. I have heard every podcast. You must have a lot of free time or maybe a lot of long trips in the car. It, it, yeah, it's, a lot of times it's I'll just catch up while I'm, I'm on the road. And the Jay Gilligan podcast, I for one just love listening to Jay talk about juggling and get you thinking about juggling in different ways than you normally would. Recommend that one as well. That was a good experience for me too, because up until then, you know, me and Jay have had kind of a superficial relationship, even though our, 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 our paths have crossed many times over the years. I didn't fully understand him and some of the choices he made. I admired what he did because if you look at juggling in the time we've been involved, there's only so many names that kind of came up and sort of made a mark like Jay Gilligan, Jason Garfield, Michael Motion, Michael Menez, like these guys who are still in there, still doing it. So I always admired him and the role he played in juggling and the, as a teacher and as a mentor. But there were definitely times when he would do a show or do something in a show I produced. I'd wonder, why did he make that choice? Right. And that really helped me to understand more his creative process and, and I think, uh, you know, help us to become friends. And now I'm glad that we're going to be able to to work together again in Cedar Rapids. Yeah, that was it was very fascinating, that podcast, him explaining all that. And of course, we have something there that I think you'll really love, because there we have a flow zone. Great. I know. <laughs> I, I asked you before the podcast if you, had, if you had anything controversial, and you said maybe maybe your opinion on, on poise spinning was, the, was as far as you would go in the, in the controversy realm. Yeah, uh, yeah. All, all I'm saying is I haven't seen anyone swing poi that's made my changed my mind about it. That's all. And you want to make sure we didn't have the music too loud. And so. don't, yeah, there's there, those of us that are you know we're like I said, by the time the festival comes around, I will be 55. That means I'm eligible for senior discounts at some restaurants and movie theaters. Well, I've already got you beat. I'm already 55, but I do like music. But I, I was telling you before, also at the, I was at a festival uh, this last weekend 
where they had a live band playing. And I think, you know, the, the live bands that will play kind of like for free exposure at a juggling festival are not everybody's cup of tea. It probably, very likely not mine. Like at a festival, I want I want to visit with people and the gym's already loud and hard enough to have conversations. And if you start getting music that's too loud, it's like, uh, now I really can't hear anybody. The gym is very large in Cedar Rapids, like one of the largest I've seen. So where there's plenty of space to have the flow zone, not all the way in the corner, like they're the, at the little kid's table, and have the music at a decent level where the people like yourself and myself can wander over and do get our flow on but then wander away and, you know, mingle with our older compatriots. I'm willing to expand my horizons Good. and be open. I've always liked club swinging. Okay, right. And boy, swinging is like club swinging, but just more flowy. There's more flow. It's just, yeah, or less skill involved. We're coming towards the end of our time. So let's end with a big trick because All right. uh, it's always good to end with a big finale. And you have a trick you call the 12-part combination tricks why don't we end by you going through exactly what is in the 12 part combination trick all right well basically it's the classic francis brun combination trick minus minus one we got the ball on the finger spinning on the finger ball spinning on the finger you got two rings on the arm two rings on the arm the same arm as the ball is that each each one of those count as one part so now those three parts already like each ring is a part let's put it this way daniel i count because i count a kazoo as part of mine so yes each (laughs) one of those rings absolutely (laughs) counts as one so that's three already because you have the ball and the two rings there's three okay and then there's the kazoo is four we'll we'll get to that later okay Uh, okay okay a ring spinning around my foot and a ring spinning around my upper leg. So one's going parallel to the floor, the one around the ankle. The other one's like above your knee, spinning. I actually do the Ernest Montego way where it's on my foot, so the ring is perpendicular to the floor. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. It's less painful and more visible to the audience. Ernest Montego, of course, did the brunt finish on the unicycle. Right. And I think he had the kazoo, too. No, I don't think he had a kazoo. I don't think so. He didn't have a kazoo, yeah. He didn't have a kazoo. And now, to spin the rings on the leg, I, of course, have to stand on one leg. And that's part so of that, it. That counts as one. And I always say the world is revolving. Does you count that or no? You know, I haven't, but I guess now I can go 13. I always counted that myself. I said, well, and the earth is spinning the other direction, I would say, is too, sometimes. That's good. So. That's good. Thank and you. And then I juggle two rings in my left hand. Okay. I have never got, I haven't gotten that third ring yet. I'm still hoping to at some point. And then I have a ball spinning on a mouth stick. Right. And a ball spinning on a thing on my head that actually has a roll of toilet paper on it that will unroll because of the ball spinning. Oh, so it will turn. Yeah, I remember seeing that. So it like turns like a, like a lazy Susan toilet roll kind of mechanism. For lack of a better term, yeah, it's uh, yeah. So I have unrolling toilet paper, which is the whole story behind that. Let's just, in the brief version, is trade show for Kimberly Clark. Okay. <laughs> and then I have a kazoo and a party blowout. And ah, I got those you. each count as one. I see. So twelve total. Twelve total. Now I actually don't count the toilet paper as a single thing. So. Oh, why not? I mean, because this is unrolling. It is unfurling. I have, I'm going to have a ball spinning on top of this portable toilet paper dispenser, and that counts as one. So you do have some some level that you're not willing to go beyond and, and call that a... Apparently. Or maybe you don't want 13, so 13 would be unlucky. Is that what it is? No, I'm working on that. Well, 13 <laughs> would hopefully be that third ring, but beyond that, I have now, for a couple of years, off and on, morely, more off than on, and currently very on, I'm working on learning on that on a unicycle. Really? Like a like a, a giraffe or like a... Well, for now, we're regular because it's more productive practice-wise because you don't have to get back up on a five-foot unicycle. And then maybe take the wheel off and do it up on the slack rope? Uh, oh, great. Thanks. <laughs> well, that'll be for the future. In the meantime, I want you to enjoy something for me because you and I, have, besides the love of juggling, we have something else in common. That is true. You also have two... But you have long hairs, but you have two yes. long-haired mini dachshunds. Mini dachshunds. I'm petting one right now, Growler, the boy, right down here to my right. So what are their names? Are they, are they brother and sister? What are they? They are brother and sister, same litter, and it's Growler and Annabelle. Because I have the same litter. I have brother and sister, but they're mini short hairs, and their names are Francis and Lottie. Which is very cute. <laughs> it's very cute. I told Michael Cherick, and he realized it was a obviously a tribute to Francis Good. and Lottie Brun. That Good. was nothing... Good. It was more that uh, my fondness, and I thought little German jugglers, little German dogs, 
you know, brother and sister. Absolutely. It was a sign of affection. So I, I'm glad you have the good taste in, in the dog breeds and, of course, in your, your pursuit of juggling as your career. It's been a, pl- a pleasure knowing you all these years. You've been a very consistent guy in just your niceness, your friendliness, in your, uh, the fact that you look exactly like John Wee and never age. Thank you. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't talk about that. Sorry. There's that picture up in your attic. But if, folks, if you, if you have a chance to go out to Cedar Rapids, one of the great pleasures you'll experience is not only seeing Tui Wilson perform and checking out his world-class mouse sticks, but getting to experience the great guy that is Tui Wilson. Thanks so much, Tui, for being on the Drop Everything podcast. Thank you, Daniel. It's, it's been a pleasure and an honor. I hope you enjoyed podcast number 44, Drop Everything with Tui Wilson. I certainly enjoyed that lively chat with the master juggler and entertainer, Tui Wilson. Tui, good luck out there on the road. Good luck adding that 13th stunt to your 12-part combination trick. And don't burn yourself up doing that fiery rope, slack rope in the mouth, teeth, torch juggling thing that you do. Okay, let's thank our sponsors before we get too far afield. Let's start with the IJA, International Jugglers Association. In addition to doing this podcast for the IJ, they've also selected me out of the thousands of representatives to be festival director. That's right, I am the festival director this year in Cedar Rapids, so join me and the millions of jugglers who will be there in Cedar Rapids, July 10th through the 16th. We have extra shows, special workshops, and of course, like I mentioned before, joggling. All right, let's also thank Ringdama by going to ringdama.com and buying a dozen for you and your friends so they all can enjoy this exciting new skill toy brought to you by Holzman Labs. Let's, of course, thank Karen Holzman, my engineer, who I don't think enough. And let's thank you, the listeners. And don't forget, drop everything except when you're juggling.